0: We pick up in our sermon series on Ecclesiastes by turning to chapter 5 this morning. And our passage is much shorter today. It is only seven verses. So instead of having a thoughtful and lengthy reflection on the way the world works, these verses are essentially wise instruction or exhortation for how to live well in the world. And they specifically address our words. And the way we misuse our words in the eyes of God. Because our words often get us into trouble. We say too much. Or we don't speak up when we should. We lie. We twist the truth. We exaggerate. We make promises that we don't keep. We can hurt others with our words because we fool them. Because other people don't know what we mean or what the truth is. But God does. And yet even though he knows the truth of our words, we still try the same tactics on him. We try to fool God with our words. And the author of Ecclesiastes wants to show us the foolishness of thinking we can fool God with our words. And so he's correcting us with words of wise instruction concerning how we speak. And so if you would, open up your Bibles or look in the bulletin to our sermon passage for today. It is Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Ecclesiastes 5 and beginning in verse 1 today, let us hear the word of God. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. Oh God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that when You speak to us, You speak clearly. That we never have to look in the Bible and wonder, is this part true? Or is this part true? It is all true. And so we pray, O oh God, that You would help us to understand it rightly. Holy Spirit, use me in spite of my own sin and the ways I misuse my words. Use me instead to faithfully proclaim Your Word to teach clearly what it says and to proclaim the good news of Christ. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear and open hearts and minds to receive your word as it is today, the word of truth. Help us to believe it, to live by it, to be corrected by it and comforted by it, that we would live according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we go through our seven verses today, I want us to see that the author of Ecclesiastes gives us four exhortations, four exhortations or words of instruction about our words. And then I want us to consider how he points us continually back to God's word and that being the more important word than our own. So the first exhortation we see is in verse one. It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And the idea is that we worship a holy God. We worship a living God who knows our thoughts, our hearts, our motivations, and it would be foolish to try to fool a God like that. And yet, that's exactly what is warned against in the next verse. He says, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Now, in the wisdom literature of the Bible, a fool is not necessarily a court jester. It is not necessarily someone who doesn't know a lot of things. A fool is someone who lives as if there is no God. And so a sacrifice of fools is thinking, I can just go through this ritual of offering a sacrifice and God doesn't really care about my heart. What matters is just that I do the right thing. That I just make the right sacrifice. It is done in order. Who cares what my heart is behind it? A fool thinks that worship is a perfunctory ritual that you do in hopes of avoiding avoiding punishment and earning blessing. But all throughout the Old Testament, God exposes that idea as foolish. Throughout all of the prophets, He says again and again, Stop it with your sacrifices and festivals and services. What I want is your heart. What I want is obedience and trust. That such hollow worship is called evil in verse 1. That even though people may think they are saying the right words and doing the right actions, and that they are being very religious, God says that such lip service is evil. He hates those words. Instead, he calls us to listen to his word. That rather than just repeating the words of our worship liturgy mindlessly, we should listen to what is being said. And so we need to hear the meaning behind our call to worship, our prayer of confession, assurance of pardon, and the Lord's Prayer, and the doxology, so easily they can just become the words that we are supposed to say each week. But we are meant to listen to the very words of God that we are saying. To listen to what God requires of us. So for us today, this exhortation warns us against mere ritual. It warns us against clinging to mere church attendance thinking we can fool God with our physical presence in worship when our minds and hearts are elsewhere. It's an exhortation that warns us against merely putting money in the offering plate, thinking we can fool God into buying His favor when we don't really want to live for Him. It's an exhortation that warns us against mindlessly repeating the words of God, thinking we are fooling Him, with just participating. That when we come to worship, we are called to listen intently with hearts and minds to hear how God desires true worshipers to worship from the heart and to not simply give lip service. And so that's our first exhortation. He warns us of our words in that way. The second exhortation is found in verses 2 and 3. We read this, Be not rash with your mouth, Nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. Now, some of us are prone to be hasty with our words. We speak early. We speak often. Even if we're not sure what we're saying is true, we are happy to talk and talk about it. So God warns against such motor-mouthed behavior because we don't always speak the truth. We don't always know what it is we're talking about. If you'd like an example of this, you can turn on the television any day and you can just see a lot of motor mouth people talking about things they don't really know. But we do the same thing. God doesn't do that. Because when God speaks, God always speaks the truth. His knowledge is perfect. There is not a subject about which God does not know what he is talking about. For us, there's a whole bunch. And so God's knowledge is compared to dreams, to our dreams. And our dreams are fleeting and fuzzy and often freaky. And we can think that our dream has some like deeper meaning, but we're just guessing. Trying to learn lessons from our dreams can get really foolish really fast, especially when we try to interpret spiritual meanings. And so we're like, I want to be inspired about what I dreamt about last night, but That's inspired in a very different sense than the Bible is inspired and authoritative for us. Now, you might be thinking, like, I don't do that with my dreams. They're immediately like, whoop, they're gone. I don't even remember what I dream. That's foolish to do that. And I would agree. It is foolish to interpret dreams like that. But we all do it with daydreams. It may not be our nighttime dreams, but we do this with daydreams. We can spend our days pondering our feelings and wishes for the future. And we want signs from God about what God wants us to do. Daydreaming of this perfect sign that God would give us that would just make it clear which way we are to go, what step we are to take next. And we can hastily interpret the events around us as signs and feelings that God is guiding me. And the author of Ecclesiastes is saying, Hey, go to the Word. This is inspired. This is an authority. Do not hastily try to discern the signs. Go to the Word. Now this is especially important for pastors and teachers who need to be careful that what we say is from God. Our words should be few. And His words should be what we speak. We may daydream in our studies about what God wants us to say on particular subjects or to particular people. But God's told us what He wants us to say. It's here in the Word. We are to stick to the Word. To adhere to what is authoritative and not be hasty about our own innovative interpretations that it is wise to confine ourselves to the Word. We live in a search engine world where we expect to plug in any question and get a specific, personalized answer. God has not given us Google. He has given us His Word as His authoritative standard of truth. And He says, stick to this. So that's the second exhortation as we use our words to go beyond what he has written. The third exhortation is in verses 4 and 5, and it deals with vows. It says, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. So what does it mean to pay a vow? Well, it's the idea that you would say something like this, that if you owe God will give or help me with this, then I, O God, will do or pay this in response. It's not so much a transaction like we're hiring God for help. That's not what it should be. Rather, it's a way of expressing the seriousness of our need and dependence upon God. The problem is, though, when we say such things, we don't usually have a notary present. We don't even typically write them down unless we have them in a prayer journal or something like that. We usually speak them out loud, maybe in a prayer. But after a while, we start to wonder, like, you think God remembers that? You think he's going to hold me to what I said to him and what I prayed? Is that binding? Binding? Because I don't have a signed paper anywhere that says that. But does God have one? That attitude is compared to that of a fool who, again, doesn't live as if God is real. Someone who thinks God won't act as God and hold us accountable for our words. And a scary story about that is our Old Testament reading from Judges 11, perhaps the most well-known example of a vow gone wrong in the Bible, where Jephthah realizes the Ammonites are a fearsome enemy. And he feels he desperately needs God to come through and save him and his people. And so he makes a vow. God, if you will save me from the Ammonites, whatever walks out of the door of my tent and welcomes me when I come home, I will offer it as a burnt offering which is a really poorly thought out vow. Because there's not a lot of things that walk out of the door of your house that aren't people. People you love. And yet He says it. He hastily, foolishly, rashly makes a vow. And what should scare us is everyone in that story thinks fulfilling the vow is more important than saving the life of his daughter. Not one person asks the question that everyone in this room is asking. Why didn't we find a different way? They recognize the seriousness of entering into vows with God. That even Jephthah's daughter said, you must pay this vow. And that's exactly what the author of Ecclesiastes is saying. He warns us to be careful in making such vows. In fact, it's better not to do them. So if any of you are ever like, you know what? I'm thinking about making a vow. Just stop for a minute and ask yourself, do I really need to do this? Do I have to do this? Do I want to say it this way? Watch your words in that way. There are better ways to pray to God for help than vowing, than binding yourself beyond what is written in Scripture with the Lord. It is enough to say, God, please help me. I will try by my grace to be faith, by your grace to be faithful. Please help me. Today we tend not to make a lot of vows like that, but we do make some vows. We take marriage vows. We take membership or baptismal vows here in the church. And those vows should not be entered into hastily either. They should not be made foolishly we should think through what it is we are saying in those vows, considering the commitment we are making before God with our words. Now, thankfully, in those vows, we are promising to do things by God's strength and by His grace in full acknowledgement that the people making those vows are sinful people, and yet we should still not make them rashly or boldly or foolishly. We make them humbly, knowing we need to obey the Lord. So that's that third exhortation, to be careful about vows. And then the fourth exhortation is in verses 6 and 7, and it sounds very similar to our second exhortation in verses 2 and 3. Both of them focus on our mouths and our words. Both of them reference how dreams can be problematic. But the difference seems to be that in verses 2 through 3, we're talking about words before God, is what it says. Whereas in verses 6 through 7, it says words before the messenger. I'm not entirely sure who that messenger is supposed to be, but the likely candidates are all human. So, we need to be thinking about how we speak to other people Less than how we think about how we speak to God. That's what this is focused on, how we speak to others. And as we piece the puzzle pieces together in verses 6 and 7, it seems like the issue is that we can exaggerate the truth out of a fear of man. That we try to make ourselves sound better than we actually are In order to protect a vain image of ourselves and of our work. You can think about this as a kind of verbal airbrushing. Airbrushing are those cover models that seem to have perfect skin. Well, someone went in after the fact to make them look perfect. This is talking about verbal airbrushing. Using our words to make ourselves sound better through exaggeration. And we do that for fear that people will look down on the real us. Old people, you know who you are in this room. This is why young people use Instagram for this purpose, to make themselves appear filtered and better than they are. Young people, this is why old people often go to class reunions, so that they can say how great things are going in front of their friends. We all do this in all sorts of different ways, that we verbally airbrush and we fear, we dread that we need to exaggerate just enough that we're not going to get found out, that we can, we can embellish a little bit more, but we can't make ourselves like too great because someone's going to find out. And so we're worried, we're fearful. We don't want people to see the real us, but we can't make ourselves sound too good. And the danger is someone's going to find out. God already knows. God knows the truth. He doesn't want us protecting some carefully crafted, vain image of ourselves. He wants us to be honest about ourselves. And He is willing in His anger at our pride to knock us down a peg, to humble us so that it is harder to hide the honest truth. Because when we are suffering and sick, it is really hard to find the right selfie for Instagram. There is no filter that filters out your sickness. And when we have been fired or mired in family squabbles, it is harder to boast at a class reunion. God wants our walk to match our talk. And if we are believers, then we need to be truthful about our sins and our weaknesses. And so we can say all kinds of things to make ourselves sound good, but is it true? We may say that our family puts God first, but do our choices match our words? We may say that we have a peaceful home life, but are we afraid to invite people over to see the truth? We may describe the faults of someone else but are we worried that they might hear what we're saying about them because we've exaggerated it? The Word calls us to not so flippantly exaggerate with our words. Instead, we should carefully speak the truth about ourselves and others, trusting God knows more than we do, and the truth is just fine. See, God's Word is always more accurate than our Word. We may minimize certain truths. We may exaggerate certain truths. We may completely ignore other truths. But God's Word always speaks the truth. And His Word perfectly reveals the truth about us. And that truth is a fearsome truth. Because I imagine all of us can remember some of the words that we have spoken that we are ashamed of. Words that we wish we could take back. God remembers not just those words, but every word you have ever spoken. And the Word says that He holds us accountable for that. He tells us in His Word that we all deserve His holy judgment because we have all told lies. We have all twisted the truth. We have slandered others, gossiped about people. We have vainly protected our own image with exaggeration. And we have neglected God's words. We have done plenty of wrong with our words. And there is no way, no price we could pay in any vow that would make us guard our words perfectly from here on out. We can't do it. We can't just be better. Thankfully, God's Word says more than a word of condemnation. Because not only is God to be feared, He is to be loved. God does not just speak judgment. He speaks words of salvation and hope. See, even though God is holy, He is also merciful. And we are told that Jesus, God's only Son, was sent to save sinners like us. That He suffered and died in our place so we could hear His blessed words of forgiveness and acceptance. And the Word of God tells us that this salvation is a gift to all who trust in Him. Who trust in the Word about our sin and our need to be saved in Christ. Today, you may not believe the Word of God. But I want you to hear the Word of God today. See, you cannot fool God. You may be living today, possibly, as if God doesn't exist, but are you sure about that? You've been wrong about plenty of things before. Are you certain there is no God? You may want God not to exist, but have you exaggerated your confidence in your unbelief? Because our words cannot create whatever reality we want to dream up. God is either real or he is not. Don't foolishly disregard the evidence in his word know also that we cannot talk our way out of judgment. I'm sure your words have saved you before. I know my words have saved me. They've saved me out of parking tickets. They've saved me out of detention. We may even have talked our way out of being fired or other bad things. We may even think we have an excellent case for our own goodness and innocence. But know that it is God's Word that is the standard by which we are judged. It does not matter what your words say about you. It matters what God's Word says about you. And God's Word says that apart from Christ, we are all sinners and dead in our sins and under the wrath of God. So do not rely on your own words to save you. Look to the Word of God to save you. Because God offers us something better than our words could ever do. We may be able to verbally airbrush a really nice image of ourselves. God can do better. Instead of just airbrushing away our sins, God atones for our sins in the flesh. Instead of being covered by the lie that we can tell through exaggeration, we are covered in the blood of Jesus and we are made clean. And as we read in the New Testament reading, Jesus' sacrificial death makes it possible for us to come before this fearsome God with confidence and assurance. We can come with a true heart, freely confessing, yes, God, I am a sinner, and at the same time, yes, God, I am saved in Christ. That's what we do each Sunday as we gather here for worship in a joyful fear, not dread, but a reverence that there is a real God who is really holy, who out of His grace has shown mercy to us and saved us in Christ. So may we not neglect to come together, but may we come to hear His words each week as we confess the truth of our sin, trust the promise of His salvation, and live by His commands and His strength. May that be true of us today and every day as we gather. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak clearly to us, that the standard is clear and that we have fallen short of it. And we ask, O oh God, that you would help us to see that there is not just a word of judgment, but there is a word of hope. Help us, O oh God, to watch our words. Strengthen us by your spirit to sanctify us. The Bible calls the tongue a restless evil in so many ways, and it can be for us. So please, O Lord, help us to guard our words better and help us to speak the truth. I pray, God, that you would seal these words from your Bible in our hearts, seal them in us, plant them in us and help them to grow, that your truth might work in us in such a way that we would live more and more for you and for your glory, proclaiming the goodness of Christ to all people. It's in his name we pray. Amen.